<clears throat> well, for the longest time, people thought that the Earth was at the center of the solar system, uh, maybe even at the very center of the universe. Uh, this was the established position of science. It was the doctrine of the institutional church. Uh, hardly anyone questioned this Ptolemaic geocentric order. Uh, but then came Nicholas Copernicus and after him Galileo. Uh, they had the audacity to question the status quo. Uh, they suggested that the sun was in the middle and, and all of the planets, including the Earth, orbited it. And now this is often pitched as a battle uh, between reason and faith. Maybe you've heard it put this way. Uh, people argue it demonstrates the conflict between the open-minded inquiry of science and the narrow-minded, bigoted dogmatism of the church. Now, we should be clear, that is completely and utterly made up. That whole story is fake news, we could say. Uh, Copernicus and Galileo were both committed Christians, and the truth is, at the time, it is the scientific consensus that stood against them. Uh, to follow the science would set you against them. And in fact, in each case, their theories didn't really solve any problems. Uh, their models involved just as many fudges and fixes to fit with the observations available. Uh, and yet, history looks well on Copernicus and Galileo, and it does so for one main reason. Uh, that reason is because they were correct. Uh, the sun, and not the earth, is in fact at the center, and that is why we call it the solar system. Now, I bring that up because uh, what we discover in our text today is this, that following Christ requires of each of us a, a very similar personal Copernican revolution. Uh, left to ourselves, we are hardwired to put ourselves at the center of our lives. On top of that, this is the consensus of our culture. We're constantly encouraged to put ourselves in the middle. Self-esteem. Self-help, self-care, self-expression, self-actualization, self-self-self. That's really the anthem of our era. Everything orbits me. That's how we live. Selfishness is hardly discouraged today. In fact, I believe it's really championed. But to follow Christ is to embrace a revolution, a revolution far greater than any revolution brought about by Galileo. It brings a dawning realization that we aren't at the center at all. Uh, no, that center belongs to one person and one person alone. Jesus is at the center of the universe. And because that is true, every part of our lives should orbit him. Uh, only then will we live uh, life the way it was meant to be lived. Uh, when we put Jesus at the center, we discover the truth is on our side. Uh, why? Because Jesus is the center of God's plans from creation all the way through to redemption to the very end of the age. And the testimony of John the Baptist really illustrates this truth perfectly. This is a man we discover who got it, a man who challenged the, the status quo with this new revolutionary Christ-centered view of the universe. And to see that, we're going to take a look at his words, to consider what he says. In verses 19 through 28, we see what John says about himself. And then in 29 through 34, we learn what John says about Jesus. And so today we have two main points. Firstly, John's testimony about himself, it's not about me. John's testimony about himself, it's not about me. And then secondly, John's testimony about Jesus, it is all about him. And this is really the key takeaway. It's, it's a, a lesson that we spend our lives learning. It's not about me. It is all about Jesus. 
And so firstly, let's consider John's testimony about himself. And that testimony is this, it is not about me. And the key point here is this, that John understood that he was not the center of the universe. And that's what we need to understand about ourselves. We have to remember it's not about you and it's not about me. I mean, look down at verse 19. He, John is asked a very common question, a question that you have often been asked or perhaps even asked yourself. Look at verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Uh, who are you? That's really a great question. Uh, to give some context, John had been preaching, he'd been baptizing, and, and clearly he'd been causing a stir. And so the religious leaders sent a group to investigate, to examine his credentials. Uh, who are you? Uh, they say, or maybe we could paraphrase that. Who do you think you are doing something like this? Uh, but this question draws us into consider something really that has universal significance, that really is a key question in our age. Who are you? Uh, have you ever asked that? Uh, if, have you ever been asked that by someone else? If, if so, then, then how did you answer? Who are you? Did you give your name, your age, what you do, perhaps where you live? It's a question we ask ourselves, especially perhaps when we're young. Who am I? How do I fit into this big wide world? What makes me uniquely me? Perhaps we think in terms of our gifts, our talents, our unique contribution. But John's answer is, is striking, isn't it? Who are you? What could John say? Well, he could have said this. He, said, he could have said, I'm John the Baptist. I'm special. I'm, I'm the cousin of, of Jesus. I've been given this special commission from God. In fact, let me tell you story, this story. I was commissioned even before I was born. I have this unique place in salvation history. If anyone could have talked about himself for a while, I believe it probably was John the Baptist. But instead, look at what he says. In fact, who he is not seems to be much, much more important. Who are you, they asked. Look at verse 20. He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Christ. It's quite an elusive answer, isn't it? In fact, this reminds me of the time when I was first called to serve as pastor at West Valley. Uh, before I moved here, I'd, I'd emailed the elders at the time, and uh, I think it was to set up our first meeting or something. Uh, anyway, I typed um, the email on my phone, which really was the first significant error. Uh, as so often happens, autocorrect got the better of me, and you may have noticed, some of you, I often end my emails with the phrase, in Christ. It reminds me uh, of who I am in him and also the identity of uh, who you are if you are his followers. And maybe you know where this is going, but my friend corrected it to, I'm Christ. <laughs> I'm Christ. It's not exactly a great way to start a relationship. And uh, anyway, I sent click before I realized what had happened. And I remember joking with Dave Royce at the time, there was quite a lot of anticipation of my arrival and my coming to the church. <laughs> but, uh, but any delusions of grandeur soon dissipated once I'd arrived. I can now say with confidence, I am most certainly not Christ. And many of you will agree with me, I'm sure. And listen, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you are not Christ either. Uh, that doesn't mean we don't act like Christ, does it? And I, I don't mean that in a positive sense. We're meant to become like Christ, but not put ourselves in the place of Christ. That's to do something very different. Uh, we see ourselves as the answer. We act as if we, perhaps, are the savior of the world. Uh, we act as if we have the answers that God has put us on the throne. And, and when we do, the truth is we tend to hurt ourselves, and certainly we hurt other people around us. It's like the psychologist I've told you about before. They were asked, do you believe in God? Uh, this was their answer. 
I believe two things about God, they said. One, there is a God. Two, it's not me. And so too John believed the same about Jesus Christ, didn't he? There is a Christ, but it's not me. I am not the Christ. That was the most important thing he could say about his own identity. In fact, for John, this is how he defines himself. Who he is not is more important than who he is. I mean, read on. Frustrated, the leaders continued to question him. Verse 21, uh, they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Uh, Are you a prophet? He answered, no. Uh, Verse 22, probably frustrated, they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Uh, And even then, notice how John defines himself only in relation to someone else. In verse 23, he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And now just recently, most of us, I hope, were watching the World Cup. Uh, There was uh, some amazing football, or I should say soccer, um, that was on display um, at the time. Uh, Not least of all in the final, uh, Lionel Messi, uh, Kylian Mbappe, uh, they were the stars of the show. Uh, Well, says John the Baptist, that is not me. Uh, No, if you want to know who I am, I'm merely a construction worker. My job was to kind of clear the ground so that a stadium could be built for those guys to play in. In other words, even someone incredible like John, even somebody who had such an incredible commission from God, needed to understand this, that he is not the main character in the story. In fact, even in his own life, even in his own ministry, he, he understood this is not about him. And yet, how often do we make this mistake? We act as if we are the stars. Even with our own lives, we act as if we are the main characters. And yet, we aren't the main characters, even in our own life stories. In fact, it reminds me of a few years ago when I went to see a Coldplay concert. Don't know if you remember that band, Coldplay? Now, the act was great. What was shocking was the act that opened for them. Uh, The opening act was uh, Richard Ashcroft, the lead singer of the band The Verve. Now, maybe you've not heard of them, but uh, but I couldn't believe it. Uh, Ashcroft actually lost it on stage. Uh, He started yelling, why did you come to see that rubbish band? I'm much better than them. It was actually pretty shocking. The whole place went pretty quiet. Uh, Now, uh, he even said Coldplay should have been opening for me. Now, uh, we don't get any of that from John. This is the point. In fact, uh, John seems to have no hopes of of making it big. No, he was happy to drift into the background. Uh, He was happy uh, to play second fiddle. In fact, later on, he even says this. He says, it is right for him to increase and me to decrease. Uh, And that really is the attitude of a Christian. And if that is true of someone like John, uh, how much more true must it be of someone like me? How much more do we need to grasp? It is not about me. And we have to say, this just doesn't come naturally, does it? As I said at the start, ever since sin entered the world, we are wired to think this way. In fact, someone has even said, sin is an eye disease. Not only does it affect our vision, it certainly does that, but rather the problem with sin is that it puts I in the middle. And now on top of that, and so much around us seems to encourage this attitude, doesn't it? Uh, Kids, how often do you read this or see it in shows? You are unique. You are special. Uh, People often suggest that the key to life is you do you. Be yourself. Live your dream. Shoot for the stars. Don't let anyone tell you who you are. You can be and do whatever you want to be and do. 
It's all about you, you, you. And so what do you think? Well, you grow up thinking, it's all about me. But the problem is it just can't work, can it? Even, even from a logical point of view, it, we can't all be at the center of the universe, can we? And on top of that, what a burden. What a burden it is to bear that, even from a very young age. We feel stressed by it. We feel stressed by it. I know we have to figure out who we are, what we like, what makes us special. Having the world revolve around you, that, that takes a lot of pressure. Really, it's kind of a huge weight. And listen, don't get me wrong. You are special. You are unique. God made you in his image. But he didn't make you to live life yourself. Life is not about you. No, the key to life isn't figuring, about, figuring out yourself. In fact, the key to figuring life out isn't focusing on yourself at all. Like John, who you are not is actually more important. You are not the Christ. God does not expect you to be the hero. Instead, he wants you to reflect him. In fact, that's why he made you. He made you in his image. All of us, old and young, were created to be like mirrors, and and mirrors don't really draw attention to themselves, do they? In fact, if they do, they're probably broken. They're probably dirty. And that is how we are in our sin. And yet Jesus came to clean us, to fix us. He came to bring about a Copernican revolution in our lives. And that starts with this realization. It is not about me. And and what a, a liberating discovery. It takes the pressure off. I mean, who are you? Who are you? How would you answer that question? And maybe you'd say, oh, sure, I'm a father, a mother, a husband, a a single person, divorced, a nurse, a a doctor, a student. Who are you? Well, how about starting by answering this question? Uh, Starting by answering in this way. Who am I? Well, let me tell you who I'm not. I'm not God. I'm not in charge. It's not about me. I'm, I'm not the savior of the universe. Try that when someone asks you the question. You might get some odd looks, for sure. I'm not the sun. This world doesn't orbit around me. No, I'm here to orbit someone else who is truly the center of the world. And this really brings us to the second point, doesn't it? We've thought about John's testimony about himself. It's not about me. Let's move on to consider John's testimony about Jesus. We learn in verses 29 through 30, it is all about him. What John says in 29 through 34 is this. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus. He is the center. He is the sun. He is in the middle. He is the one everything else in our lives should orbit. And this is the Copernican revolution at the heart of the Christian faith. In fact, to become a Christian is to turn from living life your own way for yourself. And instead, it's to turn to Christ, to bow the knee to him, to accept that he only is the Lord and the Savior. And this is exactly what John the Baptist uh, calls us to do, even at the very start of John's gospel. Uh, We could say this is how John prepares the way, clears the ground for the coming of Christ. He confronts us with this truth. Uh, As the old saying goes, he he really confronts us with this truth, that this town ain't big enough for the two of us. It isn't big enough for you and Jesus Christ. There isn't really room on the throne of your heart for both. And we discover who Jesus is. Uh, As we do, we're faced with a really clear challenge. But we discover why he alone deserves to be on the throne of our lives. Uh, We see why he should be the center of everything. 
A look at what John says in, in 29 through 34. Uh, what does John say to displace us and, and, and instead put Jesus at the center of everything? Uh, well, essentially, he says three things that I, I would summarize in this way. Uh, firstly, only Jesus is the Savior. Only Jesus is the Savior. Uh, secondly, only Jesus is supreme. Only Jesus is supreme. And thirdly, Jesus is Savior and supreme because he is the only Son, the only an incarnate Son of God on the throne of the universe. Uh, firstly, Jesus is Savior. Look at verse 29. Uh, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now this image of a lamb comes right out of the book of Exodus. Remember the Exodus when God saved Israel while they were languishing there in slavery? Uh, the final act of salvation was uh, that event that we call the Passover. Uh, central to that was the slaying of the Passover lamb. Uh, God was going to come and judge Egypt for all the evil they had done, and, and the only way to escape was through this sacrifice. Uh, the lamb uh, would be slain. It would be slain on behalf of the firstborn. And having sacrificed a lamb, they would take the blood and, and spread it on the doorposts. Now, it's pretty gory, isn't it, when you think about it? But, but what John says is this. This is, was a picture. It really it was a picture pointing us toward Jesus. You see, all of us, in one sense, are slaves, just as Israel were there in Egypt. We're all slaves to sin. In fact, those are the very words of Jesus. What I mean is this. By putting ourselves in the middle, we've messed up our lives. We've messed up society. We've messed up the whole world around us. There is nothing we can do to free ourselves from that mess. People try to save themselves all the time, don't they? But they try to do it in exactly the wrong way. They, they put themselves in the center. It's all about me, me, me. But they make things worse. They, they end up being more weighed down. It ends up burdening us even further. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. And, and one day, here is the really bad news. God is coming for us just as he went for Egypt. And how does Jesus fit into all of this? Well, just as in the Exodus, a sacrificial lamb was slain, so says John, Jesus is the lamb of God, slain for the sins of the world. Jesus came to die on the cross as a substitute, to die on behalf of his people. And to know his salvation, we have to turn to him, we have to trust in him, we need to uh, apply his blood to the doorpost of our lives, so to speak. Uh, by calling him the lamb, John is saying that Jesus is the savior we all need. That is why it's all about him. And that is why we should put him at the center of our lives and not ourselves or, or something else either. Uh, and yet this is often what we're tempted to do, isn't it? Uh, we realize how much of our lives is a mess. Uh, and so we either try to fix it ourselves or maybe we look for something else that would fix it. Uh, Jesus Christ is the Savior, but he's also supreme. He's supreme. Look at what John says about Jesus down there in verse 30. Uh, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Uh, Jesus is before John clearly in two ways. Firstly, he's superior to John. He's supreme. Uh, notice how Jesus says that he ranks before him. Now, it reminds me of those, those leaderboards that you used to get at the arcades. I remember as a kid trying to get your initials there on the leaderboard of that game, Centipede. Now, maybe I'm aging myself a bit when I say this. You try to get at the top. Or you at least try to get uh, at the top of the list of Mortal Kombat or something. Well, says John, Jesus ranks before me. He's at the very top, not just of some video game, but he's actually at the center of God's plans. He's at the top of, uh, of the, he's on the throne of the universe. 
Uh, Jesus is far, far more important than me, says John. In fact, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and, and untie his sandals. Uh, and listen, he's far more important than you and me and John. He's supreme, the supreme Lord. That's what it means when we say he's the Christ. Uh, Christ is a title, the anointed one. It means he's king, the one whom God has appointed to sit on the throne of everything. Uh, and Jesus deserves this place. Uh, he is first uh, because he is uh, first in a second way. He's before John in a second way. Uh, John says he is before me because he was before me. That is, he existed before I was born. And that brings us to the, the final thing John says about Jesus there. He says he's God's son. In fact, having seen the spirit descend on him, John draws this conclusion in verse 31. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the son of God. Uh, is that not what we saw last week, if you were here? If not, I encourage you to go back and read the prologue to the Gospel of John. In it, John makes clear who Jesus is, that he's more than just a man. He is the eternal word who was and is God, the eternal son who took on flesh, who became incarnate and dwelled among us. And this is why he is everything. This is why it's all about him. This is the reason he is the only savior that we can turn to. I mean, we look to all kinds of things to save us and set us free, don't we? We, we look to friends, we look to new fitness regimes, to diets and to deities, to, to sports or to success. We treat all kinds of things as supreme in our lives, from, from that greatest new toy to the greatest new car. We look, we look to some other kind of hero. And we treat someone else as if they are the Lord, following their commands, following their rules. But the problem is it just won't work. In fact, it's just as bad as putting ourselves at the center of the universe. Let me give you an example. This is a mistake we make. I think especially a mistake that we make if we're parents. And now the first mistake you could make as a parent is to make it all about you, isn't it? To expect everything in your family to revolve about you, around you, your own desires, your own ambitions. When you do that, you can probably do one of two things. Either you'll have no time for your kids at all, or else you're going to somehow try and live your life through them vicariously. Uh, and listen, this is an equal and opposite, but perhaps more common mistake in the church. We don't make life all about ourselves, but no, we make life all about our children. Uh, we put our children in the middle of everything. Everything we do, we do for them. We sacrifice for our family. What could be more American? filling our lives and theirs with every good thing. It sounds great, it even sounds commendable, but here is the problem. When we do this, we often train them. We train them to believe that it is all about them. When we act at the center of, as if they're the center of the universe, they come to believe that they're the center of the universe. They never learn the lesson that we're actually hearing here today, that it isn't about me, that it isn't about them that really it is all about the Lord and Savior, Jesus. You see, all of the things that we turn to and trust and center our lives on might not be bad things in and of themselves. Many of them are good things, commendable things, money, sex, children. The problem is all of them are just created things. They're good things, but they're not God things. And that is why it just won't work. It won't work any more than if Galileo had decided to put Mars in the middle of the solar system. You see, only Jesus is the savior. Only Jesus is supreme. And the reason for that is because he is no mere creature. He is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. 
He is the center. In fact, that is just a fact. And so if you want to follow the science, if you will, you need to live your life with him in the middle. The way you think about your gifts, talents, interests, resources, families, everything needs to be Christ-centered. If it isn't, life will be all disordered. The math just won't work. Everything will only become more and more messed up and disordered. Things just won't add up so long as you live with anything that displaces him from the center. And so let me ask you, what is your life orbiting right now? Money, pleasure, sports, yourself, your kids? Do you get frustrated when things don't go your way, suggesting perhaps that you do believe you are at the center of the universe? Do you see the world as a stage, a stage on which to play out your own big story, or will you see your life as part of God's big story instead? Are you the main character? Or are you just a side character in your own life? And in fact, even in your life, Jesus is the hero. What you'll find if you approach life this way is, is, it seems counterintuitive, but to approach life this way is incredibly, incredibly liberating. It saves you from the pressure of having to be the savior and supreme yourself. It saves you from having to be so special. It frees you to be special in the true sense of living the way you were meant to live. In fact, it, it's a, a, bit about, a little bit like the Lego I was working on just the other morning. Now, it was one of those grown-up Legos, I want to point out. It was, uh, I think it had 1,200 pieces or something, and in fact, it was bought for me by someone in this congregation. Anyway, I was putting part of this together. You know how they come, the big kits. They're kind of staged. There's many different bags. I was putting part of it together, and it took quite a long time, let me say. But then once I was done, the whole section I had just assembled didn't actually fit. And now it turns out I had done it all wrong. I'd forgotten to turn it around at some point, and I'd actually filled it in completely the wrong direction. I'd done everything backwards. And this is the problem that we often make in life. We get everything backwards. We start with ourselves. We make it all about us. We put ourselves in the middle or else we trust and rely on something else, something else other than the Lord Jesus. And when we do, it seems to go well for a while. The pieces seem to fit and yet soon I think it becomes apparent. It doesn't fit. And what John the Baptist helps us see is why. We've got it the wrong way around. We've got it backwards. And so God invites us really to take those Lego blocks of life apart and by the grace of God to begin a new life, a new life when we put things back together the right way, centered on the Savior. He invites us all, young and old, to challenge the status quo of the world around us, to experience a personal, spiritual Copernican revolution. And so if you aren't a Christian, he invites you in particular to experience that for the first time, even here this morning. He invites you to turn from living life your own way and to turn and trust in the Savior he's provided, the Lord Jesus. If you've never done that before, why not do it now? Just pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I'm sorry that I've lived at the center of my life. Forgive me. Save me. Help me live with you at the center. Many of us, perhaps most of us I know, have done that before. And yet it's something of which we need continually reminding now, this isn't just a, a one-off decision. Often, you know, our lives drift. 
Uh, We need reminding of this, don't we, every day. We need to follow the facts. We need to remember that that it's not about me. We need to fight this tendency we have to become self-centered. What are some of the ways you've done that, even this morning, even in the last day, even in the last week? Uh, How have you gotten off track at home, at work? How have you started to make it all about you? Don't we need reminding of what John the Baptist tells us here? And don't we need reminding of his testimony about himself? It's not about me. And his testimony about Jesus Christ, it's all about him. In fact, let's be praying in the coming weeks as we work through John that God will reorient our hearts, that God will help us center our lives on him, that we'll be pulled more and more into the gravitational pull of the Lord Jesus. It's not about us. It is all about him. He is the only savior. He is alone supreme because he is the only son. In fact, let's turn and ask him for help now, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this challenging but encouraging word from John the Baptist, a reminder of what we know to be true in our hearts, that it is not about us. We are not at the center of the universe. And yet you have appointed your king, Jesus Christ, your only son, Uh, the only Savior, the only supreme Lord of all. And so we pray, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, move our hearts, center our lives on him. Uh, May we uh, continue to look to him for salvation. Uh, And Lord, we pray that you would help us more and more reflect his character as our lives orbit him. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.